At 4.55 this afternoon, the very latest national news from the studios of ITN. And at 5 o'clock, it's Cinderella. Now fasten your seatbelts as we meet up with the inadvisable trapdoor. I don't mind being shocked with a man coming out of a coffin. But that, I don't really, I, mean, I never really knew any of anybody like that. I don't mind being shocked with a man coming out of a coffin. But that, I don't really, I, mean, I never really knew any of anybody like that. I don't mind being shocked with a man coming out of a coffin. But that, I don't really, I, mean, I never really knew any of anybody like that. We didn't sort of shut off because it aroused our curiosity. But I don't like being shocked with sex. I don't mind being shocked with a man coming out of a coffin. But I don't like being shocked with sex. We didn't sort of shut off because it aroused our curiosity. But that, I don't really, I never really knew any of anybody like that. But of course, it was a wonderful thing for us. I mean, actually brought us all back together again. Are you bored at home? Lonely? Nothing to do? Then why not call the Len Line? Hello, Len here. We've got hundreds of Lens just waiting to take your call. Hello, hello, Len here. Len here. This is Len. your own age, or perhaps a foreign Len. Hello, Len here. We've got Lens from all around the UK. Call now, 0891 5050 Len. This is Len. Len is waiting for your call. I've been doing a lot of research. Grandchildren asking me, you know, what did you do about it? And I'd done nothing. So I looked up the address and I went down there. You know, they looked them in the eye and that. Put a few difficult questions to them and that. They said, 
sure you've got the right place. And I was like, of course I have. You lot have got a lot to answer for. You're sat in the middle of a web, controlling the lot. They said, What? The Build-A-Bear Shop? And I said, Say that again. They were like, The Build-A-Bear Shop? Build-A-Bear Group. I didn't buy a bear. They took me inside. They can... Made me a cup of tea. Just while we were waiting for the police to come along. They put out most of the fires. They're very fire retardant, those bears. They're very fire retardant. You want a barlet line train? 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 You want a barnet line train? Barnet line train. You want a barnet line train? You want a barnet line train? Yeah? Yeah. Spirit don't like to be here. 
they are aggregates of consciousness that vibrate at a different uh, wavelength than we do, and they are not organized around matter as we are. I grew, I'm, I'm the only child, and I grew up in a very big house with a lot of books and no parents because they were always away. <laughs> And we were living a little bit away from, from the city center in Rome. And so I had I pretty much spent my entire childhood and most of my teenage years on my own in my house with a lot of books. I discovered very early in, in the library were uh, stories of mythology, right? And I was really uh, fascinated with all of it. You would think that um, you know, being Italian, born and bred in Rome, I would be all over you know, Roman or Greek mythology, but in fact, that really didn't speak to me at all. What really spoke to me was um, Sumerian, Egyptian, and then Celtic mythology of all of them. Like, everything that wasn't Roman <laughs> or Greek, pretty much. In the 70s in Rome, uh, there was a huge uh, spiritist spiritualist, I would say, I'm a spiritualist, spiritualist uh, community. Uh, a lot of people were doing seances, pretty much. That was a big thing. And my mother was very much into those things. So she had a lot of books on the matter. And, uh, you know, I grew up with the legend that uh, she, she was a very gift uh, medium. But she always refused to do anything with me as a child. It was like, she was saying, like, this is, this is something I used to do. That's it, part of my past. That's it, end of it. Um, I did discover some interesting books, uh, in especially a series from uh, an Italian, imagine like an Italian David Icke, but without the, the ick, <laughs> without, without, the, without the bad. Uh, this guy was called um, Peter Colosimo, and he was always writing about, you know, strange world and mysteries. And so I was, at that, I was, I was reading pretty much growing, I was growing reading um, mythology and Peter Colosimo. And then a big turning point for me happened in the summer of 1990, when I was only 12 years old, so I was very, very young, obviously. Two things happened. Um, my, my mother's brother died suddenly of cancer, uh, kind of echoing the way she would die many years later. So uh, that was something that I think about it a lot. Anyway, uh, so she was kind of absent. She was always like um, with, her, with her brother. And so I was spending a lot of time with my father, and my father didn't know what to do with me, so she was buying me comics non-stop. Uh, one of these comics was um, this Italian comic called Martin Mystere. Basically, this Martin Mystere is an Indiana Jones for the occult. In the summer of 1990, um, in the summer special, there was, um, alongside the comic, also an extra little book about the most mysterious man in the world. And that mysterious man in the world was all about Aleister Crowley, very much. So I was like, okay, this guy seems very interesting. He was the weakest man in the world, so he's kind of an outcast. And I was feeling kind of an outcast, of course, like, you know, a lone child, you feel like that. And then, you know, my, uh, my, aunt, my uncle, my, my mother's brother, do, does die, and she finally caves in to the idea of, like, you know, I'll show you how the seance is done, so... so you can speak with, with your uncle again. A lot of strange things happen in that room. 
I, it's difficult for me to speak about it because I've seen things that maybe they are misremembered, as I was just saying. But let's say that it was a very, very impactful moment. And after that, she, my mother told me, you know, this is yours now, do what you want. She never spoke about it before, anymore. That set me up pretty much. That's it. At this moment, in this incarnation, wearing the mask of Marco Visconti, I can tell you that I, I lived many lives. These many lives exist in what we consider the past or what we consider the future. I lived many lives in many worlds, not just on Earth. I lived many lives in many different places. Um, I also realized that this can be seen as memories, right? So in fact, what I what I what I can what I've experienced are th the memories of these incarnations. So those incarnations are both me and not me. Marco Visconti exists here on Earth in 2023 and will never exist anymore. This is the only life I have if I see it from this perspective. But when I connect with with whatever is above, what's called the Holy Guardian Angel, and as I as I shift the consciousness from you know, the embodied level of Marco Visconti to the, the Godhead, because the Holy Guardian Angel really is the Godhead. Um, this is something a lot of people like struggle with. Oh, the Holy, my Holy Guardian Angel is Archangel Michael. My Holy Guardian Angel is Lilith. My Holy Guardian Angel is Batman. The Holy Guardian Angel is God. <laughs> you, can have, you, can have, you can have stages where you see this God through various lenses, and maybe at time it's useful to see it as Lilith, Michael, Mikael, I should say, or even Batman if you have the chaotic slant. But in the end, you realize that those are just images of an image. I know that this Godhead chooses to incarnate at different point in time and at diff in different point of the universe. See the space-time continuum as a tapestry as opposed to a line, and you know when you rise above this tapestry, oh, it's it's infinite. It goes in, in in infinite ways, and this consciousness, which we call the Holy Guardian Angel God, can just pinpoint down like, okay, now I'm going there, now I'm going there, and maybe there is Marco Visconti in 2023, and there is I don't know uh, another name in the year 1 million BC or. One trillion, you know, AD. You know, that's it. It's the experience of incarnation that kind of helps this God to make sense of itself. Um, so this is what <laughs> this is my belief system, right? The true sacrality exists beyond incarnation. That's why I mean I think the path of magic can help people have a glimpse of that. The reality there is that magic really gives you that glimpse and sets you on that uh, path to really experience it, to really have noses of it, like, you know, unfettered knowledge of it, like direct knowledge of it. Uh, you have to do it. It's not just, it's not just years of practice. It's, it's many years of practice right there. As Alan Moore says, well, at some point, something does answer <laughs> and that something is not you the experience of the i and the tao it's fundamental in uh, in really taking your magical practice to the next level 
The way I teach it in the book as well is that, you know, everything that you learn in the book is what you need to do, how you have to prepare yourself, how you have to, you know, rise up your internal temple, your magical pyramid, so that at some point you will be able to conjure and speak with the other. And I like the term the other because it kind of it's all encompassing, right? Um, because in my experiences, this spirit can be seen as god or goddesses, but can be spirit of, of the place, can be what we call you know, the fairy, um, can be UFOs, in fact, right? Can be uh, what we perceive as UFOs, maybe through our current um, cultural lenses. What people can expect, well, first and foremost, in my experience, it's very unlikely that unless, unless you're incredibly talented, and I think the talent as in like inner ability of doing something does play a role in magic. The same way somebody will be more prone to play an instrument than the other. Like I play guitar, I kind of really fiddle with it. Uh, and, you know, I remember when I was when I was like a teenager, I could play Megadeth well. I mean, Mustaine parts, not Friedman parts. Because that, that was, but that, that, that was completely beyond me, right? And still is. But then I've seen, at the same time, you know, where people, my, I, friends my age, they were like, like shredding like crazy because they were born with, I don't know, nimbler fi uh, fingers than me. I think magic really is similar to that. Like everybody can do it. I really think it's the birthright of humanity. But it's undeniable to say that there's someone who maybe will get there earlier. When you do get there, uh, I would say do not expect uh, do not expect flares and fireworks from the beginning. It's really, really unlikely that anything like a, a disincarnated voice will speak to you. It's almost impossible that you will see a physical presence. It happened to me, but it happened to me when I was working in group, and group always helps because, you know, the more skilled magicians you have in the group, the more you can create a battery of energy and spirits can actually uh, attach themselves with and can use that energy to manifest more into the physical place. Spirits don't like to be here. They, they, they're aggregates of consciousness that vibrate at a different uh, wavelength than we do, and they are not organized around matter as we are. So they don't like to be here, right? So they need help to manifest more.
what they've done. The Inadvisable Trapdoor is sponsored by Anti-S Club 7 Cream. Mum, I want to go outside, but S Club 7 are out there. Don't worry, love. Just put on your Anti-S Club 7 Cream. Thanks, Mum. The Inadvisable Trapdoor Winston Churchill was Jack the Ripper. A true crime podcast investigation by Andrew O'Neill. Part 2. Whitechapel. Between August and November 1888, Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes and Mary Kelly were each murdered in the same small area of East London, Whitechapel. These days it's a bustling part of semi-gentrified East London, but in 1888 it was officially classified by the government as a shithole. This description was recorded on Wax Cylinder. London Governmental Survey number 231, Whitechapel. Shithole to the east of the city. My initial notes were stolen by a loud and filthy girl aged around eight who threatened to split my knees open with a hook. Some industry, bewildering number of eel stalls, strong smell of shit and large piles of shit. We left in a hurry after a man with pointy teeth aggressively tried to swap my hat and shoes for a string bag full of what he insisted were monkey's hands. Official advice, avoid. Whitechapel today is a mix. Hugger-mugger of traditional cockney businesses, fast food outlets, hipster bars, sari shops and all around development, the inexorable wave of gentrification. Lying in the shadow of the glass and steel monoliths of the City of London, symbolic of patriarchy's insecurities, Whitechapel is dominated by two thoroughfares. Whitechapel Road to the north, with its market stalls selling Viking memorabilia and novelty brushes, and Commercial Road to the south, the more industrial of the two, transporting traffic, people, goods and services out of London towards Essex where the vast majority of England's cunts live. To the north of Whitechapel lie the Faroe Islands, mysterious and remote. To the south, the forbidden swamps from which no man returns unchanged. Beyond those, Bromley. Here on Whitechapel Road, the shops and businesses are a unique patchwork. There's Nobby's Pie and Eel Stall, and next door, the Breakfast Cereal Cafe, where infantilised hipsters dress up as toddlers and spill milk and sugary grains all over their fucking hipster fronts. Honestly, adult baby fetishes have more dignity. Next door again, an original Edwardian piano shop, Old Joanna's Old Joanna's, with its vivid hand-painted sign advertising Joanna's, Earl's Court and Hot and Cold. There's Bobby Nugget's flat cap shop, with its terrifyingly lifelike carving of Bobby, 
put there originally to frighten any juvenile shoplifters, but ultimately putting off any and all customers until eventually Bobby absconded to Spain with a suitcase full of hats. There's the new hipster IPA bar, come and have a drink if you think you're hard enough, and Millennium Kebabs, a name that presumably felt very zeitgeisty in the late 90s. Whitechapel Tube Station was open and running in 1888, twinned with Wimbledon Common Station due to the fact that its overground line runs beneath its underground line. Then there are the shops with witty or amusing names. E.T.'s Home Phones, Barbara Kebabs Windsor, Alpine-themed brothel, the Mountain Whorehouse. The South Asian community are really pulling their weight here, uh, with restaurants including Curry Favour and Bargy Bargy Black Sheep, Have You Any Wool? No Sir, No Sir, This Is An Indian Restaurant. As well as their clothes outlets, such as I'm So Sorry, uh, Sorry Seems To Be The Hardest Word, and Sorry, the 1980s sitcom starring Ronnie Corbett. Whitechapel Road is dominated by the Royal London Hospital. In 1888, not yet royal, it was home to the elephant man, Joseph Merrick. Not John Merrick, as many believe, due to Frederick Treves, the doctor who made him famous, failing to listen the first time he asked him. Ah, Mr Treves, I have been meaning... To say something. Thank you so much for allowing my friends to see you, John. Joseph. Marvellous. Okay, gentlemen. John is ready to see you now. Joseph. Bless you. Do you have a cold coming on? My name is... Here jo he is, gentlemen. Oh. John Merrick. Good Lord. What a freak of nature. How extraordinary. Joseph. I've never seen anything like My it. name what a thing. is Amazing. Joseph. Yet civilised, you say? There you are, gentlemen. John Merrick. Everybody's been very kind. One of Whitechapel's most famous residents was Michael Caine. Because in my day, Whitechapel was the other way round, you know. You come in, us down a top bit, you know, cut down from Bethnal Green, and you find yourself, you'd be at the bottom bit, you know, whopping. Of course, I turn it round during the war to confuse the Luftwaffe. The plan was to turn it back round when we won. But of course, by that time, the country had run out of money. But all the old folk remember but it was the other way round. Even now, if you try to use a compass, it'll spin round, try to find north. It'll try to find north! And look at this. If you open up Google Maps in Whitechapel, it just tells you to fuck off. Fuck off. Hear that? Because it gets confused. It was a very, very hard living, but we got through. We got through all right. And things now is clover to us. Them days, 
you was poked into a workhouse. A workhouse. In them days. Ah. Battlefield, Victoria dwellings were no lanny. Don't you worry. Oh, this is Buckingham Palace to it. This is the testimony of Countdown's Carol Vorderman. We never had a bath down there. You never, you could never bath there. You had to bath one leg, one week in the pail. The next week, the other leg in the pail. Our toilet was in the middle of the road. And you all had to line up. And it was in the context of this area, this shithole, this armpit of the British Empire, that Britain's most bloodthirsty Prime Minister, Winston Churchill, was to commit his crimes. Join us over the next few weeks, as um, I say us, it's just me, really, but join me over the next few weeks as I unpick the horror that is Winston Churchill was Jack the Ripper. Now, I don't think we should do horses hooves this week. I think if we do too much horses hooves, it's too much. Let's keep it every other every other podcast with the horses hooves. The Inadvisable Trapdoor is written and produced by me, Andrew O'Neill. The various lens were played by Toby Haydoke, Will Hodgson, David Simpson and Paul Bickmore. The S Club 7 advert family was Stevie Munro and Lyra Smith-Simpson. The occult segment was Marco Visconti. He's Azrael2393 on Twitter and his brilliant new book is called The Alistair Crowley Manual. I strongly recommend it. My full interview with Marco, well over an hour long, is up on my Patreon, patreon.com slash Andrew O'Neill. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider paying me for it and joining my Patreon. I run it on a per-thing basis, and I try to charge for four things per month. You'll find the full-length versions of each of my occult interviews there as well as a roundup of the month exclusive after parties when I do my online shows, my beginner's guide to ritual magic. There's loads of stuff. You may want to give the price of a reasonably priced pint at a mid-level high street pub. Patreon is a revolution, and it means that I can make the podcast I want to make without having to please the industry gatekeepers and without having to let the advertisers get access to your ears. Fuck them. Now, if you're skint, of course, the podcast is free. It's a gift for you, paid for by the people who can afford it. But mainly, if you've enjoyed this trip into the inadvisable trapdoor, please tell people about it. Spread the word, post about it on social media, and also please like and subscribe, and where you can, leave a review. As an independent outsider artist, the algorithm is the white whale. 
We have to Ahab the fuck out of it. Thank you for listening. The inadvisable trapdoor is closing. Mind your fingers.